found some wood and started a fire and danced even though there wasn't any music. I went to meetings, I wrote the letters, and pretty soon I wasn't alone. We get out of the truck, we hiked through this field with our surfboards. I'm like, there's no way there's going to be waves here. At Patagonia, we are climbers and skiers. We are surfers and anglers. We are activists and dreamers. Stories of the fabric of our shared culture, and we're proud to sponsor the Dirtbag Diaries. Visit us at Patagonia.com. I'm not totally sure how to say this without you thinking I'm totally insane. For two years, I lived in a house that, I don't know, I definitely wouldn't say it was haunted. Curse seems like too strong of a word. Maybe the best way to put it is that 2005 Northwest Taylor was a happy island in a sea of foreboding events. It was like we lived on a busy thoroughfare of doom. I know that may sound like a little bit like an exaggeration, so I brought in my wife, Becca to corroborate this. It wasn't like we lived in a bad neighborhood. Yeah, there were a variety of ailments with the house. The guns, the uh, Corvallis Police Department coming with the DEA task force was definitely one. Cats under the house, the drunk undergrad student that would come to his girlfriend's window, which was right outside our bed- bedroom window, and beg to be let in. Time after time. I about that. <laughs> um, what else? There's the night, there was a big windstorm and two houses down. This huge tree totaled this house. We had to go into the wreckage to see if anyone was trapped. A few months later, a guy in a fit of drunken rage pulled a gun on a woman in front of our house. I'm not even going to go into the cats. It's just too damn scary. Maybe my nerves were shot, but really, the thing that scared me the most was the house itself. It was old and creaked and moaned in the darkness and when it got cold. And I woke up constantly flooded with dread, just terrified. So I remember the night when you jumped out of bed at, I don't know, it must have been 3 o'clock in the morning, and I heard a noise in the house. You were standing there in your, in your boxers, and you're like, I'm going out there. The next thing I know, you're like, dashing out of the room and I hear some like clanging as you pick something up and then you're yelling at our garage door being like I know you're in there you have to the count of three to get out of my house do you hear me I grabbed the fire poker and proceeded to defend my wife against against uh nothing more really than my imagination I was totally scared fair enough I mean, you've never been like that. You've never just been, like, paralyzed in your bed, afraid. Oh, no, I've been afraid before. We were lying in bed, and there was, like, a pounding on the door. It was definitely, like, at 1 o'clock in the morning, and we're like, what the heck is going on? And you went out and answered it. This was a couple months after my fire poker incident. And the next thing I know, I hear, like, the door slamming, and you, like, running through the kitchen. And as I come out, like, to find out what's going on, I have no idea what's going on. And, and you're like, get down! Get down! By this time, I'm, like, figuring out that there are, like, cops outside, and you're, like, pressed up against the kitchen door. I'm, and so I'm, like, on the ground in the living room, like, peering into the kitchen, being like, what is going on? This time, there really was somebody at our house. I'm not kidding you. I was like, oh, 
<laughs> Did you think I was freaking out from like the last time with my my constant? No, out? totally not. Cause I'm like hearing like people like yelling, and then all of a sudden there's like, get down! <laughs> like yells from the garage, so I know that this is like for real. And there's somebody like in our garage that we have no idea what he's doing in there. So that was definitely like that's scary. Like, whew, totally, you're like not in control anymore. To me, I can barely separate the two instances in my head. And that's the funny thing about fear. Whether the threat is real or it's imagined, the emotion of fear, terror, feels the same. Today, we bring you two stories of terror. Terror that comes in the big and hairy variety. One from the winner of the Night of the Living Dirtbag Contest, Chris Peters, and another from a very special guest. The hour is nigh. Be afraid. Be very afraid. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. I should have been listening. Instead, I was watching a golden eagle traverse the skies above a glacier-fed lake. After a year of brownouts and smog alerts in southern Ontario, the air felt so fresh. A giddy smile played at the edges of my lips. I watched that eagle soar, its feathers slightly shifting as it went this way and that before finally disappearing behind a mountain. I was about to start my job as a tree planter, and I should have been paying attention. I snapped back out of my daydream just in time to hear my crew boss say, and that's what you do if a black bear walks through your piece. Shit. What? Could you repeat that? For a second, I looked around warily into the dark, towering woods that surround Horsefly, British Columbia. Hundreds, if not thousands of bears lurked there, waiting for me. And I wasn't sure if he'd said to yell at them to scare them away, or climb a tree, or to play dead. One or the other was right. Right? veteran tree planters were completely nonchalant. Those planters, my peers, were rolling cigarettes, or taking a leak, or off getting mentally ready. And I took a page from their books, and feigned indifference. Whatever. Sure, I was a city kid, more comfortable with books and words than calluses and blisters. But I'd hiked and canoed through enough of the wilds in New Brunswick to at least pretend I knew what I was doing. Bears? Pah! Wildcats? I dare ya. And if they come from me, I've got my planting shovel ready. But behind that indifference lurked an unsure heart. Before that summer, had you ever even seen a bear? <laughs> On TV. So, uh-huh. that was about it. <laughs> For the first few days, I was hyper-aware of my isolation, my vulnerability to nature. There were no bars, no walls to protect me. At the slightest rustle of a branch in the wind, the far-off breaking of a twig or the squeak of needles, under some minute pressure, I was alert, shovel raised in that classic pose of man defending self. It was ridiculous. But like anything, you get into the groove. You start paying more attention to how many trees you're planting, how much money you're making. You start to think that the woods, they aren't so scary anyway. One day, halfway through the summer, a bear walked through my planting plot and ate my lunch left optimistically on a four-foot diameter stump. 
I just sat down with friends, a good hundred feet from that lumbering beast, all rippling muscle and fat, and marveled at its appetite. It bared down everyone's lunch, plastic and all. The director of our outfit was a guy named Duke, a legend in the strange family that is tree planting. He was the kind of guy who asked you to do something and you did it, because he was a generally nice guy. But you were also aware that if you didn't, well, he was about twice anyone's size in camp, and his bent-out boxer's nose backed up his legendary reputation. Duke had this dog named Guinness, part lab, part Newfoundland. Guinness was inseparable from Duke. We'd move from Horsefly to Terrace, British Columbia, to some place called Meziaden. Then we'd crossed into northern Alberta to Slave Lake. Of all the places we planted that summer, Slave Lake was the most industrialized. Big oil derricks squeaked and groaned in the dead heat of August. And that safety talk was the furthest thought from my head when Duke ATV'd me into a block to plant solo for a day. I was 12 clicks from camp, 20 clicks from where everyone else was, alone. I quickly got down to the very real job of making some cash. It must have been around 10 o'clock because the sun was just beginning to carry the heat of the day. My t-shirt was damp with sweat. The block I was planting was a large, sweeping grassland. So when I bent down to plant a tree, my vision was partially blocked. I was aware, though, that there was a large, short-haired black creature, maybe 10 feet away. Um, and I just bent down and out of the corner of my eye, like out of my peripheral vision, I could just see this thing moving. And, and my brain just clicked and was like, oh, it's Guinness. I reached for another tree, still aware of my boss's big black dog, now closer and wondering why he was there. I planted the tree, began to kick it close, and it washed over me. Bear. Shit. Black bear. I stood up straight. My bear mace was sitting uselessly in the corner of my tent. It was coming towards me. So we were, we were walking in par- almost parallel, but I was coming towards it, and it was just walking along. And the grass was so high that and it just had its head down so it couldn't see me. My brain scampered and leapt through the accumulated talks and books and articles of my young life. I settled upon my crew boss's words, months old and barely listened to, Don't startle a bear. Make sure they know you're there. That way, you're both safe. Eight feet. Now seven feet. Hey, bear! I yelled. The bear stopped and stood up on its hind legs, looking extremely startled. I didn't have the time to reevaluate my words, but I knew I'd just made some colossal mistake. And I just realized, like, that's so stupid. Because the bear just stood up. Uh, and it, it looks so surprised. Hey, bear! I yelled again, legs like concrete, heart thumping. That bear did not run away. He did not look relaxed by my continued yelling. I did not feel safe. I took a hesitant step back. Hey, bear! And then bear took a step forward, matching my own. Then another. I took a step back. Hey, bear! Go away! So I, I just kept yelling, like, hey, bear, go away. And then, and it didn't go away. It just kept just sniffing the air. 
and uh, I started laughing. I, I, I just, I was laughing. I think more because I didn't know what I was going to do with the situation, what was going to happen, and 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 if anything did happen, I had nothing really to protect me. My bear mace wasn't anywhere close by. I am certainly not fearless. I did not want to die there or fight a bear. But what else was there to do? Go away! I yelled again, laughing. So very alone, the sun strong on my face, my whole universe had just boiled down to me and a bear. Suddenly, the bear rolled forward onto its forepaws, and for one terrible moment, I hated myself for that languid grin on a mountainside, watching a golden eagle soar out ever higher. This was it. My grip strengthened on my planting shovel, the smile froze on my face. I, I remember just being like kind of frozen, like my shoulders felt really heavy. Um, that planting shovel seemed like it was 100 pounds. I didn't know if I could get it up, if I wanted to actually fight it off. You know, people talk about your heart stopping. It's like when that bear dropped down to all four paws, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was like, you know, this, I don't know if I gasped or anything, but it, it felt like it, like, I had no air in my lungs. My heart stopped. You know, I didn't know what I was going to do. And that moment kind of sticks in my head. The bear locked off, away from me. It hung around the tree line for a while, long enough to make those moments tense. When I finally got back to planting, I stopped every tree or two to look around. I don't think my heart ever settled down, not until I was in the safety of my planting mates. By then, the story had grown. It was a tale of daring do, where I'd wrestled a bear from my very life and laughed all the while. It was a moment that reminded me what it is to live and truly be afraid. Chris Peters. He teaches 5th through ninth grade in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. We had some great entries, tales of near misses, campfire terror, and stories of lore or legend. Great stuff overall. But alas, this was a contest, and I had to pick one, and there seemed to be an overriding theme from listeners. What do dirtbags fear? Being chained to a desk? Global warming? Park rangers? No. They fear bears, according to everyone who wrote in for the most part. The unequivocal answer is bears. Bears scare the crap out of you all, in fact. So continuing in that theme, here's a very special guest. A 50th birthday is a date most women face with bittersweet emotions. Bitter because of arriving wrinkles, and sweet because they see a faceted gem or a romantic foreign vacation. Our sons, then ages 19 and 12, came up with the idea that I had no greater wish than to visit Alaska. I knew two things about Alaska. They grew colossal vegetables, and the Great North isn't pina colada country. I am an art historian. My idea of the outdoors is sitting in front of Manet's Déjeuner sur l'herbe, remembering the feeling and smell of grass. My only lifetime experience camping was a day trip with my Girl Scout troop in the 1950s. I 
couldn't see our family on a cruise with blue-haired seniors, and the idea of a canned bus tour was even less palatable. Ultimately, we focused on a few days at a cushy lodge at the base of Denali, a side trip to Juneau to visit the glacier, and several days in Anchorage. Then, my husband, who in the grand tradition of husbands had remained mute up to this point, suggested that we consider adding an overnight camping trip. Once that word was uttered in the presence of boys, there was no turning back. Terror. I was about to know true terror. We were going to hike eight miles to a lake at the foot of a glacial moraine, camp for two nights with one full day of exploring in the middle, I was relieved to discover that our trip was to be accompanied by llamas. My hands and back would be without burden. Okay, I was game. I could try this. Everyone should sleep under the stars for at least one night of their lives. Our guide seemed very competent. Liz gathered us at the trailhead to discuss the caveats about the trip. Never drink the water around us because of the potential for jardia. Carry out everything we take in and heads up about bears, which would be lurking everywhere. Diligent mother that I am, I was already aware of the potential bear threat and had come prepared. To the family's chagrin, I began pinning the jingle bells I had purchased at the Florida year-round Christmas store onto their hats, anoraks, and even their sock cuffs. We would sound like Santa elves on holiday from the workshop. Number two son and I shared a llama named Sahara. The trail was lovely, rimmed with wild berries which we picked on our breaks. The rich, velvety mosses beckoned you to lie down and rest. The sun was dazzling, but not hot. Almost immediately, there were bears. They tended to move along with you on a ridge about a hundred feet above the path, distant, but keenly aware of everything we humans and llamas were up to. I made certain my bells frequently jingled, and wondered if I should have gone more in the direction of a small cowbell for added safety. Liz told us that to guard against bears that might come into camp at night in search of food, a llama would be tethered in front of each tent flap. The theory was twofold. The llamas would alert us to the presence of a bear, and any bear would be more interested in attacking a llama than a person. During the first night, my husband miraculously managed to commandeer my sleeping pad out from under me to add to his own pile. Eventually, I noticed that the tent floor seemed abnormally cold, rocky, and increasingly moist. I couldn't wake him, or he faked it well, and I couldn't pull the mat out from under him. Our first day in the glorious Alaskan wilderness brought intense fog and heavy rain. 
I retreated to our tent, which, since it was yellow, had a nice interior halo-like glow about it. I imagined myself walking in Paris, visiting my favorite parks, museums, painting by painting. As night arrived, I strategically placed my bag and pad as far as physically possible away from my husband's, wedged really into the slanted side of our tent. Sleep came quickly. Then fear. The kind of fear that consumes you that you can't shout, speak, or even squeak. My fear was so powerful that it completely constrained me. I felt the bear's fur and spine pressing on me through the tent's nylon. He had lumbered through and almost fallen on me. When would his claw rip through and grab me? Liz did tell us never to take food into our tents, but I had unwisely disobeyed that rule. I told myself to stay calm, not to move a muscle, take shallow breaths. Why did I put my husband so far away? Then the bear began to snore. Could this bear have fallen asleep? Did he find the leftover beer, go on a binge and crash? Moving meant risking waking the sleeping predator and certain death. I lay there for what seemed like hours beside the bear with only the thin nylon between us. I was living a nightmare, but I was still alive. I stayed awake through the night, forgoing breathing for several hours, until in the early morning hours it dawned on me that the fur I could feel through the tent nylon had the nappy texture of llama fur. Sahara had managed to dislodge her stake and restation herself in the tent's lee to avoid the downpour. With the arrival of the clear morning, my courage allowed me to verify Sahara's location. I never mentioned my ridiculous fear to anyone. And it seems a near miss hits you harder Do you remember if there were any bears? I don't remember any bears. I, uh, I, mean, I was pretty young. I was maybe, I think I was 10 or 12. And I do not recall one bear. I remember them telling us that they were like crazy bears. But I don't remember mom being stalked of the vigilante or anything like that. <laughs> so you're telling me she's probably made up this completely in her head? Uh, mom is really good at telling stories. up could not have begun soon enough for me. I couldn't wait for the group, which seemed to amble and straggle along, and tore off alone towards the car park. My older son ran after me, Liz having told him that it was never safe to hike alone. That's when we noticed that, in fact, a large bear was tracking me again from above. Enough! Get me home! That night, in a rental house on the way to Denali, I took my first shower, ate my first hot meal, and burst into tears when I pulled down the bed covers to discover Monet sheets. I have known true terror. It's 
I'm sort of curious about the 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 bears. I mean, you know, what do these bears look like? You're not recording anything, right? No. Okay. What do these bears look like? Yeah. Well, they were big and brown and lumbering. No, Mom. I <laughs> talked to Walker. And yeah. I, and I, <laughs> I, rem- yeah. I, remember, I remember bears on that trip, but I couldn't really remember where exactly. I talked to Walker. Um, he remembers no bears. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, that is not the case. There were bears and, on that trip. And and I and I talked to Dad too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did and he, he remember the trip? <laughs> no, he didn't remember any bears either. Um, do you think it's possible that you made all this up in your mind? Well, I guess anything's possible. <laughs> I am a pretty visual person. Yeah, no, I definitely saw bears somewhere where we were in Alaska, and I swear I thought it was there. And I, your father thinks they were rams or goats or something. <laughs> I mean, I actually do remember that there were rams, but they were much higher up. They, <laughs> they were like 600, 700, 800 yards up, and they were highly visible. And they weren't brown. So I have a completely different memory. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's alright. But I think there were beers there. I swear there were beers there. But okay, so so you know, the, the bears may or may not have been real. Yeah. But they were real for me. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So doesn't I mean it doesn't even really matter because the fear was real, right? I mean, oh, the fear was de- that bear leaning on me was definitely real fear. Yeah. You. I mean, you thought you were you were gonna die. I mean, because I remember you were really you were scared. Yeah. I I thought I was. I thought the next thing would be this claw through this tent until I thought it got drunk. And then I thought it fell asleep, but I was still asleep under it. Today's music, John Carpenter, marching band, ADC Bicycle, Charlie Hunter, and Gordon Goodwin's Big Fat Band. If you have any questions about the bands or want to listen to the songs in their entirety, please visit our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Comment, suggestions, story ideas, email dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. I love hearing from you all. A big thanks to today's contributors, Chris Peters from St. John's, Newfoundland, Newfoundland, and my mother, Christina Cajal. I know, I know, you're probably thinking this guy is getting desperate if he's having his mom on the show. Not true. Not true, people. We've got some great stories coming your way in the next few months. In fact, next time, the Dirtbag Diaries is headed out on an expedition. Oh, yeah, there's the avalanche that we were... Well, if it slides now, I guess we avoid it later. (laughs) In the inherently selfish pursuit of high places, how do you make positive contributions to society? Sometimes the answer is simple. Go climbing. The show is made possible with generous support from Patagonia. 
If you haven't already checked out their new storytelling project, The Tin Shed, go online to patagonia.com and look for The Tin Shed for great stories and photos from the world abroad. I'm Fitzgerald Hall, and you've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries.